And as we look at Psalm 22, please do keep it open on page 554. Actually, we discover that people were praising God for Jesus' resurrection 1,000 years before it even took place. So let's uh, bow our heads and pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Our Heavenly Father, we've gathered this morning to praise you for raising our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And we ask that as we look at this psalm together, you will give us a greater insight into that glorious event. So that we may praise you with even greater honor and wonder. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Psalm 22 is one of the great passages in the Bible about the cross. Jesus uh, clearly understood it that way because he actually quoted from the first verse as he hung dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In fact, so clearly is this psalm portraying the desolation, the agony that Jesus suffered as he bore the penalty for our sin that it's been described by some as the fifth gospel. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Psalm 22 as well. The title tells us that this is a psalm of David. David is crying out to God in agony. He is clearly going through a time of immense suffering. But carried along by the Holy Spirit, the words he used to describe his own suffering refer much more explicitly and clearly to the sufferings of Jesus. And last Sunday, as we focused on the first 21 verses of this psalm, we pondered the enormity of Jesus' sufferings. First, there was the physical agony. See it there in verse 16. Dogs surround me, a a pack of pierced villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Hundreds of years before the barbaric form of crucifixion was even invented, David predicts the physical agony of crucifixion as Jesus hung on the cross for us. But as well as the physical agony, there was also the emotional agony. David predicts the taunts of the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord. Just have a a look at verse 8. We didn't have it uh, read, but this is what uh, uh, David says. Verse 7, all who see me and mock me, they hold insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. How that must have hurt Jesus. Jesus did trust the Father. Jesus delighted in the Father just as the the Father delighted in him. But there could be no rescue for Jesus if we were to be rescued from our sins. But the greatest agony that Jesus suffered was the spiritual agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. And as Jesus, in agony, uttered those words, he also knew the answer. As the Apostle Paul would later write, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. While Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced hell as he bore the penalty for our sin. Jesus knew God's displeasure so that we could know God's forgiveness. He was abandoned 
so that we need never be. So in the first 21 verses of Psalm 22, David expresses his own agony of soul. But unknowingly, he also predicts in vivid and dramatic detail the sufferings of Jesus. But then halfway through verse 21, there's a change of mood. It doesn't come out in our NIV Bibles, but there's no mistaking it. Let me read verse uh, 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. And then the second half of verse 21 literally says, You have answered me. You have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. And so we come to my first kind of major heading for us this morning, which I've called Resurrection Praise. Now, in the heading, did you, didn't have it read. If you look at Psalm 22, in, in the kind of, uh, it says, uh, uh, there's a note for the director of music. It's kind of the Michael Andrews of the Jerusalem Temple, telling him what tune this song is to be played to. Now, we've got no idea what the dough of the morning was like. But I am pretty certain that there was a sudden change of key and tempo in verse 21. Because the rest of the psalm is one long declaration of praise. Now, the extraordinary thing about this psalm is that nothing is explained. We're not told what it was that changed David's thinking or attitude. But there is no doubt that there is a change of mood. At the beginning of the psalm, David had felt totally abandoned and deserted by God, but no longer. Look at verse 24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. See, David now realizes that God has not hidden his face from him. Despite the horrific experiences of verses 1 to 21, David now realizes that God is in control. God does hear the cries of his people. That's the message of these verses. And it's good news. And above all, it's good news for those who are going through very hard times. So verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. I don't know what life is like for you. But just through conversations I've had with folk in the last few months, I've discovered there are folks from this church family who have been diagnosed with cancer. There are those who've been cheated by a business partner. There are those going through marriage difficulties. There are those in financial hardship. There are those who are despairing of finding a decent job. There are those who are struggling with poor mental health. And I could go on and on and on. Well, says David, there is good news for those who are having a really rough time. The poor and afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. And those who seek God in their suffering shall praise him. What is more, whatever has happened, David wants to share it. Let's see, verse 22, he wants to share it uh, with his uh, people. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. 
But that's clearly not enough because in verse 25, he wants to share it in the great assembly. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. But even that's not sufficient for David, verse 27. The ends of the earth must hear about it. And not just the ends of the earth. You see that last verse, verse 31? Even to people yet to be born. But what is it that God has done which excites David so much that he wants to take this message to the ends of the earth and to future generations? Well, just as there is nothing in David's life recorded in 1 and 2 Samuel that corresponds to the sufferings he experiences in verses 1 to 21, nor is there anything that corresponds to such a deliverance as this. What in an individual's experience could have such worldwide and time-long repercussions as this? Well, there is nothing except the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just as David in verses 1 to 21 is describing Jesus' own agony as he hangs on the cross, so here in verses 22 to 31, David, by the, Holy, by the Holy Spirit, is putting words into the mouth of the risen Jesus. In fact, the writer of Hebrews specifically confirms this. Don't bother to turn to it. But in Hebrews chapter 2, he quotes Jesus saying the words, of, of uh, verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. And we see Jesus doing just that, don't we? On the day he rose again, he appeared to the disciples whom he called his brothers and he declared God's name to them. He pronounced God's peace upon them and he showed them from the scriptures how his death and resurrection were fulfilling God's plan to provide forgiveness and hope to this broken, suffering, painful world. So as we read these final verses from Psalm 22, we are overhearing Jesus, the obedient son, praising his heavenly father for raising him from the dead. Last week, when we looked at verses 1 to 21, we heard Jesus crying out to God in agony from the cross. Now, in these verses, we hear Jesus praising his heavenly Father for the victory of the resurrection. But Jesus isn't only praising. He's also preaching. (laughs) And so I come to my second major heading, which is resurrection preaching. And do notice that it is the risen Lord Jesus who's doing it. And I want to pick up three things that he says to us. And the first thing he says is, honor God. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All of you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hid his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. In other words, we are to revere and honor God for what he has done for Jesus. I hope that's why you've actually, that's why you've come here this morning. You haven't come here this morning uh, because it's habit, that's what you normally do on Easter Day. But actually because you fear God. You want to honor him. 
and revere his holy name. And the reason that you revere him is because he has raised Jesus from the dead. Think for a moment of some of the things that the resurrection of Jesus means. For instance, the resurrection shows beyond doubt that Jesus is indeed God's appointed king. Uh, we've got a coronation uh, coming shortly here in London. I don't know what you make of Charles III, whether you're an ardent monarchist and you'll be there on the mall on the May the 6th uh, uh, waving your flag at the newly crowned king. Or whether, to be honest, the only thing that you're uh, interested in the coronation is the extra day's holiday you get. Ultimately, your attitude to the British monarchy is of no great importance. It has no internal significance. But your attitude to God's king does have eternal significance for you. Through his resurrection, God has installed Jesus as the supreme ruler of the universe. And we can only honor God when we honor Jesus. The resurrection also shows that physical death is not the end. Death, and in particular, untimely death. That's ghastly. So painful. It ends relationships, and we have no power to avoid it. But those who know and trust in Jesus Christ have hope in the face of death. So when my uh, sister was diagnosed with a small cell lung cancer and didn't have long to live, oh, it was agony. But actually her last days on earth were also, they were also joyous, precious days. And although I still miss her greatly, I rejoice that she's alive with God. See, Jesus has been the trailblazer. He has been through death and come out the other other side. And just as Christ enjoys resurrection life, so will my sister Jane. (laughs) Because she trusted in him. And so will everybody who believes and trusts in the Lord Jesus. But those who have been careless about God And the Lord Jesus needs to repent and begin to honor God because, as verse 29 predicts, the whole of mankind will rise and appear before the judgment seat of God. All will one day acknowledge that Jesus is king, whether they like it or not. And it's only those who acknowledge and serve God's king in this life who will survive that judgment. So from Psalm 22, the risen Jesus urges people to honor God. But he also says to those who are suffering and inflicted, don't despair. Verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And the word translated poor in verse 26 actually is very similar to the word that uh, through David, the Lord Jesus uses of his own sufferings in verse 24. He talks about the afflicted one. Last week, we learned how those who are going through great suffering and actually feelings of abandonment by God can take strength and comfort from the fact that Jesus himself knows such acute pain 
and abandonment. He knows what that's like. But that's not the total picture. See, Jesus' resurrection is the proof that our present unhappy existence is not the whole story. That a time will come and everything will be put right and restored. I wonder whether you've ever come across those um, uh, psychology books or, or called puzzle books, which apparently are just a, a mass of colors and uh, shapes, but which, but which are meant to be a picture. So you, you peer and you squint at this picture from a whole lot of angles, but you see absolutely nothing. It just still appears to you a mass of random colors. But then someone tells you that it's a, actually it's, it's a picture of a girl on a swing. And they point out one or two features, and then all of a sudden, the picture becomes clear. And thereafter, actually, every time you look at uh, that uh, picture, it is no longer a mass of random colors and shapes. It's actually a picture of a girl in a swing. And you hardly believe that before somebody showed it to you, you could never see it. Well, suffering is like that. We can stare at the circumstances of our life and we read them in just one way. It's a mess. It's all desperate. But then you look again at the same picture and although actually nothing has changed on the canvas, your whole perception has changed. And that is what happens when we look at things through the spectacles of Jesus' death and resurrection. Friends, when we do that, there can be hope instead of despair. Actually, and even joy instead of sadness. And it was the knowledge of resurrection glory that helped sustain Jesus as he hung on the cross in desperation and agony and God-forsakenness. So then when Jesus in despair quoted verse 1 of the psalm, well, he also knew how the psalm ends. So Christian believers, like their Lord and Master, are to endure suffering and apparent God-forsakenness with the perspective of resurrection ever before them. Suffering and pain do not have the final word for the believer. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has guaranteed that. And then finally, the risen Lord Jesus announces how the gospel will be proclaimed. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we read how the risen Jesus appeared to his disciples and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. And it's so wonderful at this church to see people from all nations praising the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that that is what has happened. Well, in Psalm 22, the risen Lord Jesus is looking ahead to that taking place. He's actually seeing what is happening now. Verse 27, he's seeing how the gospel is going out throughout the world. And he's looking how the gospel will be proclaimed from generation to generation. Verse 30, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring it to a people yet unborn. He has done it. 
And what Jesus foresaw and announced through David is, friends, this is wonderful. It's, it's being fulfilled here today. We are part of those future generations who've been told about the Lord Jesus. And it's up to us to proclaim it to the next generation. To those around the world who do not know of him. God has raised Jesus from the dead. This is the pivot of human history. And the whole world needs to hear and know and acknowledge this momentous news. All the, verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. And friends, God's appointed way for the furthest reaches of this planet to remember and turn to the Lord is for the followers of the Lord Jesus to take the gospel out. So folk, will we do that? Wherever the Lord places us, Will we unashamedly, if we know him and trust him, or will we speak of him in the place where you work, in your family, amongst your neighbors, in your community? Will we make use of this uh, resurrection revolution event, which is uh, happening in just over a week's time? And will some of us, actually make deliberate decisions to ensure that the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. And there may be one of us, two of us, who the Lord has put that in our heart. Well, he has, be encouraged that he, that is what he does want. He wants the gospel to go to the very ends, to cross every culture, every people group who do not know about the events that Psalm 22 speak of. Jesus yes, the glory of the cross and the glory of the resurrection. So today, as we are praising God for raising Jesus from the dead, we see from Psalm 22 that the risen Lord Jesus has been, it's almost like he's been leading the singing. Jesus, our Lord and Master, delights in God the Father who raised him from the dead and Jesus leads us in praising our Heavenly Father. But as well as praising the Father, the Lord Jesus speaks to us and he urges us to honour God. And it may be that some of us here have not been doing that. Well, please listen to God's word and fear God because as it says in verse 29, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus. And God is worthy of honor, love, and praise. And for those who are just going through a really tough patch, Jesus tells us not to despair. The resurrection is the proof we need that the mess and pain of our present circumstances is not the final word. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. And then finally, Jesus speaks about what God is doing right now getting the glorious good news about his son out to the ends of the world. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Risen indeed. Hallelujah.